is tomorrow night at 11. Here it is. Your moment is in. But I don't really need your psychiatric answers. questions. I don't what care about me your question. Do an interview answers. here. Do an interview. You being, I'd like you to stay, if you will. We'll continue this online, and you can and you can online, say whatever you want. Online, get harangued online. Nobody watches the show. You, Who do you think's online? You can say. This is the middle with Anthony Weiner, unplugged. Welcome to episode eight of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill, less extreme, and generally less angry conversation. And this week, in the news, a trade for Griner, a wacky tirade by Taylor Green, and the travails of Kevin McCarthy. And later, in Listener Mail, we look at the COVID commission. Try to do alliteration in all of those. The McCarthy one didn't work. Well, there's other stuff going on this week. It's been, you know, it, we seem to be in this period between big news stories and there are some relatively minor ones. Sam Bankman-Fried got arrested. John Fetterman was named one of the most stylish people in the United States of America by some publication. But let's go to the good news of the week. The release of Brittany Griner traded for Victor Boot, an arms trafficker, merchant of death, we know this. 2008, he was arrested. He's been behind bars for 15 years. He was lured out of retirement as part of a sting. I'm glad they arrested him. I'm glad he served the time. Obviously, very sad that Paul Whelan was not part of the transaction, not part of the deal. It is no surprise this became a partisan issue in a hurry with claims that this would be a bad deal. Yeah, it is never a good deal when you are trading for our hostages, our prisoners. When you're trading prisoners, by the very definition of the word, we are trading people from our prisons for ones that are in theirs. This might seem like good politics for countries to do this. It never really does seem to work out that it's in their advantage, but it does give them this moment in time. You know, it is worth pointing out that while there are Republicans and some of the Trump administration people that are pointing out that this is a bad idea. And they're not wrong. No one chooses these. These are gray areas that, you know, Trump didn't have a very good record on this himself. Otto Warmbier came home from North Korea in a coma and shortly and died shortly thereafter, clearly had whatever cultivation that the former president had done with North Korea didn't help him with that case. And of course, there was the deal to set up the exit from Afghanistan where the Trump administration agreed to release 5,000 Taliban soldiers. And in exchange for 1,000 prisoners from the other side, it isn't even clear who that was even, if that was even really a prisoner exchange at all. And Trump criticized the deal without noting that he didn't get Whalen home. And John Bolton says they couldn't get a Whalen for boot deal done, despite the fact that they tried. And Mike Pompeo was asked about this. Is John Bolton telling the truth? I don't want to comment on our internal discussions. We were working hard on each of the cases, uh, including Paul Whelan's case during my time in service. We were talking with the Russians at multiple levels. Our ambassador on the ground there in Russia, John Sullivan, was working with them. Uh, there were lots of discussions about what the right mechanism forward was. But the Trump administration was always very clear. We weren't going to trade bad guys for celebrities because it creates the wrong incentives for the bad guys as we go forward. It's not good for American national security. It's not good for people who are traveling across the world. Yeah. The only problem was that John Whelan was not any kind of a celebrity. I know this line he came that Mike Pompeo, who, by the way, just to make it clear, Mike Pompeo was in the diplomacy business. He was the secretary of state. He was our chief diplomatic officer. And the fact that they couldn't do the diplomacy to get Whelan home 
despite the fact that Trump is now saying, oh, we should have done the deal boot for Trump, but boot for Whalen. Well, Trump wasn't able to do that. Pompeo wasn't able to do that. They failed at doing that. Maybe they didn't try hard enough. Maybe they didn't want to do that. But it wasn't like they chose a celebrity because Whalen was not a celebrity. And on another side of this same conversation is if you remember how much Donald Trump sidled up to Putin while he was there, famously pointing out that he believes Putin more than his own security agencies. He had opportunities to do this. We didn't even hear any mention of it at the time. So for Trump and his minions to be criticizing now, and let's remember the other ways that the Trump administration failed. First, the primary thing is Whalen was taken prisoner in the Trump administration. And also, let's not forget Khashoggi, someone who's a U.S. resident who was taken by the Saudis and chopped up into little pieces. And still, rather than the Saudis paying any kind of public price for that, in the Trump administration, his son-in-law goes and gets $2 billion from the Saudis. So the fundamental element of this is that these deals are not good deals. They're never good. And they're never something you cheer about, except that if we have even one American held overseas in an overseas prison for something they didn't do or they're being held for political reasons. I mean, these are deals sometimes you have to do and you need diplomacy to do them. But while we're on the subject of trading people for people, can we trade Marjorie Taylor Greene? Maybe she's the next person we should, maybe don't even get anything back. It's like the old (laughs) Woody Allen does this routine about that where he's negotiating. (laughs) You can't can't really do it. This is a cut I should have made of the Woody Allen routine of you know, trading for Woody Allen to come back and eventually his parents say, just keep the kid and we'll get the helicopter out of here. Anyway, so Marjorie Taylor Greene, who there's really no good reason to be talking about her usually because she's such a fringe of the fringe. But this week she came to New York. She came to my city and she came to appear at the New York Young Republican Gala. And she had some things on her mind. You know, she comes here, according to the New York Post, to She said of the January 6th insurrection, I want to quote this. I don't want to get this wrong because you don't want to misquote Marjorie Taylor Greene. You never know what kind of genius she's going to come up with. She says, quote, I want to tell you something. If Steve Bannon and I had organized that, referring to January 6th, we would have won, not to mention we would have been armed, close quote. And to say that she, it's weird. I don't know exactly what she was saying. I guess she was saying that that January 6th, that they screwed it up because they didn't win. I assume she means the insurrectionists, which she has made no no bones about being part of. And then when asked about it, she says it was sarcasm. And it reminds me of that Indigo Montoya line from The Princess Bride. If you keep using that word, I don't think it means what you think it means. I don't know what she means by sarcasm, but... And by the way, they were armed. So I'm not sure about that part doesn't exactly add up either. But we already knew that she was an election-denying QAnon wackadoodle. But what she said next may require us finding other adjective. Absolute, apropos of absolutely nothing. She says this. Now, listen carefully. The quality of this is not great. But take a listen to what she said also as part of these remarks. By the way, you can pick up a butt plug or a dildo at Target and CBS nowadays. I don't even know how we got here. Sorry, I may still be finishing your dessert. I apologize. That's what the kids call ick. What the hell is she? You know, I don't really know what she was going for there. I am curious if it's true, however. If CBS is carrying butt plugs, I'm interested in that, only just to know exactly how she found that out. 
And why? Okay, here's my theory, and let's see if this sounds correct to you. She comes to New York to speak and is trying to connect with the New York Young Republican gala audience. And so what does she go to? Well, butt plugs and dildos. And believe it or not, that does bring us to the number of the week. For those of you who listen to my Saturday show, The Middle, which is on every Saturday between 2 and 3, right before Left versus Right that I do with Curtis Slewa, we run down some of the numbers of the week and we use this as a jumping off point. The Middle, The Middle Unplugged, however, we just use one number. This week, the number is 1913. Not since 1913, or at least since 1913, it may even go back further than that, the majority's party's nominee has become the Speaker of the House. That's happened since 1913 at least. So what does Marjorie Taylor Greene have to do with the number of the week? Well, she is one of the people that voted in the Republican caucus to support Kevin McCarthy in his quest to become the next speaker. The Republicans control the House of Representatives. There's more of them than Democrats. So they have their own caucus to see who their nominee is going to be to be speaker. She says that she supports him because... He will bend over to Kate. I didn't mean, I, did, I should have edited this. I didn't mean that in light of the, her previous obsession with butt plugs. This is the, a bad turn of phrase. But she, he would do everything possible to cater to her. That's what she said was the reason that he, she's supporting him. And, but that hasn't stopped a group of, a rump group of about seven saying they will oppose him. And to get the math down, you remember this from a couple of episodes ago, he only has four votes to spare. And so the Republicans had their closed door election chose him to be their nominee. And this is the part that has former Republican Congressman Trey Gowdy perplexed. Rather than coalescing around a legislative or investigative agenda, House Republicans are fighting with themselves over who will be the speaker. Yes, your memory is correct. The primary for speaker was a month ago. Kevin McCarthy won with 85% of the vote, but a small yet vocal group of House Republicans will not support the winner of the primary. So much for elections having consequences or respecting the will of the people or whatever platitudes uttered, but only when convenient. This small band of Republican kamikazes are convinced Donald Trump won the presidency in 2020 with 47% of the vote, yet somehow Kevin McCarthy lost the speaker's race with 85% of the vote. Math uh, never was their strong suit. By the way, Trey Gowdy, God bless him. Now he's on Fox News. I served with him when I was in the House of Representatives. It's funny. Now these guys are a small band of kamikazes. Math doesn't work for these guys. Election denials as he scoffs at them. Hey, these are your people, buddy. Fox Fox News made these people. You commentators like you pump these people up because they are part of that Republican coalition. And now that you got to govern, you're like these people and small band of kamikazes. Hey, like I said last week, I don't mind hypocrites. Just be consistent about it. And I think Trey Gatt is being consistent that he's turned on these guys. So what is it that these seven cats want? These seven holdouts that said they're not going to vote for for Kevin McCarthy under any circumstance, and they're not going to abstain. They're not going to miss the vote, so it lowers the threshold that Kevin McCarthy needs. They're not going to do that. What is it that they want? Well, they've been asked that a whole bunch of times, and so they finally put it in the form of a public letter. So now we know 
what it is that this rump group, this group that says that Kevin McCarthy is not conservative enough for them. And by the way, Kevin McCarthy is doing everything possible to appease them. He let them go out and say, do your Hunter Biden investigation. He recently said he's going to subpoena the 51 former intelligence officers that wrote that letter about the Hunter Biden laptop that didn't say it's it's Russian Russian um, disinformation, but said, given the timing, given the context and giving everything else, it was very sus. He says he wants to go subpoena this. So he's doing everything possible. And as Marjorie Taylor Greene pointed out, he's basically said in private conversations, he's going to bend over backwards to accommodate the wackadoodles. But what does this group of seven want? Some of these things sound okay. Some of them, I mean, I'll put them in context for you, but I'll read them. You know, one is, and a little of this is, a little of this is is a little nerdy inside Capitol Hill stuff, but I'm trying to put it in context for you here on The Middle Unplugged. First thing is restore the ability for any member to do something called a motion to vacate the chair. What does that mean? That means that any time in two years, they want a rule put in that any member, if they're not happy with the speaker, can throw them out in the middle. That used to be a thing that was on the books and it would be used by the minority party just to slow things up. And that was done away with. They want that back. Can you imagine if these seven or eight or 20 or 30 of these QAnon wackadoodles in the Freedom Caucus didn't like something they can throw out the speaker mid-year. They want that put They want that put back in. Second is require 72 hours notice from the release of a bill text before it gets a vote on the floor. That's not bad. Every, by the way, every new Congress, Democrat and Republican, says something like that. Let's have more time that the bill comes out so we can read it. It's just three or four days. Sometimes you're trying to get something done quickly, but that's reasonable. Bar House leadership from getting involved in primaries. Well, what does this mean? This means they don't want their speaker coming in and getting involved in primaries if they're going to try to take out one of the crazies that's embarrassing them all the time, like a Madison Corthon or a Marjorie Taylor Greene. This rule would say that the leadership has to support incumbents and can't get involved in primaries. Increase the number of Freedom Caucus members and committee chairmanships and on the Rules Committee. As I described on the weekend show, the Rules Committee is where the speaker, he has how he controls what has access to the floor and what amendments are considered. Those are his people. And they say, we want them to be some of our people. Decline to raise the debt ceiling unless you have a plan to, to, uh, to balance the budget in 10 years. Well, good luck with that. That means we never raise the debt ceiling because even the Freedom Caucus doesn't have a plan to balance the budget in 10 years. Um, or bring, uh, um, eliminate earmarks. Earmarks are individual expenditure things that people bring back for their community. They've now been retitled uh, Community Project Funding. The problem with this is the Republican conference voted on this. They want to keep earmarks, and they should. Earmarks have are a dirty word, but frankly, no one knows my district. No one, no one knows New York City better than a New York City member. No one knows Dubuque, Iowa better than a member from Dubuque, Iowa. They should have some say in how that money spent, not just the president, not just Joe Biden. Next one is use must-pass bills to check the Biden administration. That's easy. That's just platitudes. And the final one is create a church committee style panel to target weaponizing of government. You know what? I don't think that McCarthy would mind doing that. So some of these things are easy to do, but some of them are involved taking away the speaker's power. And as I said, I think on episode two, you know, part of what McCarthy has to decide, does he want to be the speaker or does he want to let this wing of his party dominate at all times? And let's remember something about the Freedom Caucus. Let's remember something about, one, they are a big and important part of the Republican coalition. 
the election deniers, the QAnons, the white nationalists. This is an important part of their coalition. They can't win the House. You know, they have a good 10, 15, 20 members that are in that camp, and they can't vote in the House or get anything done without their support. And the other thing to keep in mind is those members, and frankly, I'm going to go as far as to say a majority of the Republican Party is in Washington not to get things done, but to stop things from getting done. That's their agenda. That's their abiding philosophy. It is not, here's why I want to go to Washington, because I want to do A, B, or C, either for my district or for my country. It's, I want to stop this from happening. I want to stop the FBI, or I want to stop Biden. And when you have that kind of an agenda, and that there's nothing you really want, only things you want to stop, it's very difficult to negotiate with someone kind of putting a gun at basically the head of the entire institution. So that's the problem that McCarthy's in. So what is the possible outcome? I've talked about this before. Look out for the possibility of a Republican that says, I'm not an election denier. I'm a conservative, but I want to try to get things done. And with Democratic votes, making that person speaker. That's what could wind up happening. A Republican that says, here's the way we're going to try to get things done around here. We're going to have some concessions to Democrats, but basically... The main concession is going to be I'm not going to let, you know, it won't be Kevin McCarthy and it won't be the Freedom Caucus choosing them. It's kind of the centrists in the House because there's a lot of liberals that won't vote for any Republican. So it's going to have to be the centrist Democrats that wind up doing it. So that's what Kevin McCarthy is going through right now. He has to deal every day with Marjorie Taylor Greene, someone who comes to New York and talks about, you know, I think I have to check with my producer, Michael. I wonder if we have to put an explicit warning on this podcast. Because I didn't think it would happen, but a member of Congress is talking about butt plugs. And when we come back after the break, we're going to have listener mail. So stick with us. So welcome back. On the weekend show, on the radio show, the way we get feedback is by getting calls. They call in and uh, it's a feisty group this week. We talked about the Hunter Biden laptop a little bit. That always gets folks going. But the way we do feedback here on the podcast is we take a look at the various ways to contact me and we take a listener and we respond to their query. If you'd like to be part of this section of the show or you just want to reach out and let me know how you think things are going, I can be reached on Twitter at at Rep Wiener. We have a special email address here, wienerwabc at gmail.com. My Facebook is Anthony D. Wiener, I believe it is, and you can leave a message there. And any of these ways are a way to get through and to offer feedback. Also, there are some podcast platforms that let you put comments and rate the show. Obviously, I'd like you to rate it well. But if you want to put a comment in, that's another place that we can go to look for questions we want to answer. And so this week, the question comes from Lester O. Why don't you just admit that COVID was a Chinese plot? Okay, I'm prepared to go down that path with you. I've never, I mean, I don't think there's evidence of that. But I do think there are enough questions that left and the right can agree have not been answered, not only about the origin of COVID, but how we did as a country preparing for it, how we did as a country reacting to it. What is the state of play of our preparedness for the next thing? And coincidentally, and this might have been what prompted Lester to write the note, this week the New York Times kind of did a deep dive into this when they asked the question, how come there hasn't been a 9-11 style commission to find out everything that happened? And they make the point that, you know, a million people died of COVID so far. 
three times what the number of people that died on 9-11. 450 people a day are dying every day, including this probably today. 200,000 kids have lost a parent or a caretaker to COVID. That this thing is way bigger than anything the 9-11 ever was. And by a vote of 20 to 2, the Senate Health Committee said, let's go. Let's create a commission, a bipartisan commission that has the type of reach and effect that hopefully the 9-11 commission did. And you might say, well, the January 6th commission didn't work out to be as bipartisan as people might like. Well, I think this is a little different because there are questions that both sides want to have answered. This might be the kind of thing that both sides might see it as in their interest. So there's no House bill that would require this. Chuck Schumer, when he talks about his lame dunk ambitions, has not brought this up. There was a House subcommittee in the Democratic House that was dedicated to this, and they put out a report that basically blamed Trump for not being prepared, which he wasn't, for not, and for Trump for the terrible communication around what people should do. All of that is fair and true. The Republican minority on that Senate Health Committee that I spoke about did a study focusing on the Wuhan connection, you know, what Lester was writing about. And while they didn't say there was an open and shut case, they would say there was good reason to believe that it came from that Wuhan lab that has been talked about so much. But I think that I would say in response to Lester's question, okay, I'm willing to walk with you down that path. And I think the way to do it is have a 9-11 type commission. Democrats and Republicans both that do the appointments. We get non-politicians on it. You get people that have experience of some sort. That's the way the 9-11 Commission. By the way, I want to point out the 9-11 Commission report was a best-selling book. I mean, people still rely upon it. There were some gaps in it, and I've talked about that, the gaps as, as it relates to the Saudis, for example. But it was largely a success in being an authoritative place where we got some of these answers. And I do believe there is some value to getting some of those answers now. We're going to talk a little bit about Fauci leaving on the weekend show. But, you know, this has become a very partisan conversation around COVID. And I do think that it would help for us to have a record. And if it leads, if the committee comes up with the conclusion that the Chinese were behind it and there was some kind of conspiracy on their part or sloppiness on their part in that Wuhan lab, I don't think I'd be stunned. I haven't seen the evidence I've seen so far is not very convincing, but I don't think I, I would not be stunned. And I would be willing as I think most Americans of both parties would be to accept that conclusion. So that's our listener mail for the show, and I hope that you participate in the show again. We are going to be back next Wednesday with The Middle Unplugged. It has been great having you along. I appreciate all your feedback. If you have enjoyed this episode or want to make sure that it shows up in your podcast feed, wherever you get podcasts, you can also go to the Red Apple Podcast Network. That's where all of the personalities here at WABC Radio have not only rebroadcast and a podcast of their shows, but also a lot of the talent here has their own projects on the side, some of which are very interesting. And then there are some people who are not on the air that have, like Laura Curran, who, who are not on the air. And on the other side of the glass, some of these popular ones that are people that are figures on our broadcast, but are not personalities here. I encourage you to go to the Red Apple Podcast Network and look for all of them or anywhere you get your podcast. And also, if you can recommend this to others, share it with others. We appreciate that. That's how the word of mouth gets started. As we go into the holiday season, I hope you and yours have a peaceful one. I'm going to be on the radio doing some shows during that time, so tune in then. And again, my gratitude for your participation. And this is the end of The Middle Unplugged.